The Colorado Business Roundtable unapologetically tells the story that business is a force for good in our community, featuring conversations with thought leaders from academia, business, community, and government. Welcome to A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on this episode of A Seat at the Table with Colorado Business Roundtable, where we bring together thought leaders from academia, business, community, and government on pressing issues that affect not only Colorado's businesses, but also our economic vitality. And we recently had an event around ESG, what the future holds, what the implications are. And it was a great event that brought people together to really ask tough questions about where is ESG heading. And we were honored to have sponsoring that event, uh, the folks at Brownstein who practice in this field every day. So I'm excited to welcome them to the podcast today. So welcome, Carrie and Jason. Thank you so much for welcoming us, Debbie. You bet. You bet. I want to let everybody know a little bit more about your background. And then we're going to dive into some questions related to maybe a little bit about the event, but also about what you both do at Brownstein. For folks who don't know, Perry Johnson, who's joining us, is a shareholder in Brownstein's Denver office, which is where, of course, Cobert is, whose practice focuses on litigation related to complex contract, corporate governance, fiduciary duty, fraud, and securities issues. And in particular, Carrie has extensive experience in managing both internal and external crises for businesses and their owners, using her business acumen and proven instincts to create and execute multifaceted strategies. Carrie, that's a lot, but welcome welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I'm excited to hear more about you and your journey and what brought you here today. Uh, but before I do that, let me give a little bit of background on Jason. Um, Jason Downs is a shareholder in Brownstein's DC office. And so technology means we're all working closer together. Uh, Jason's a former attorney DC office of the attorney general, and he's a criminal litigator. As co-chair of both the State Attorneys General Practice Group and ESG Group, he serves as lead counsel for clients facing enforceable action, takes a creative approach to educating the state AG community on behalf of clients, and helps businesses understand the authority of State Attorneys General. Jason, really great to have you on today as well. Thank you so much for having me, Debbie, and looking forward to another good conversation about ESG. You bet. It's really quite the topic. But before we jump in, I always like to ask people a little bit more about their journey, you know, their professional journey, their personal journey, you know, where they came from, what brought you to have this seat at the table per se. And Carrie, let me start with you. Tell us more about you and and your journey. I mean, just very briefly, I'm from a very, very tiny town in rural Nebraska, one of those, you know, dirt roads, six miles from a town of 200 people. And um, ultimately found my way to law school in DC and then knew I just really have always had a passion, grew up coming to Colorado, loved Colorado and wanted to, wanted to move to Colorado. So, uh, I, I came to Brownstein through really wanting a Colorado based firm and I wanted somewhere that would match my values and my personality. And, and I really found it with Brownstein. It just checked all the boxes. It's integral to the business community in Colorado. It's dedicated to improving the community at large. We do really exciting work. Importantly to me, um, people really know how to have fun with our work, even while taking our work very, very seriously and our clients' goals really seriously. So I've actually been at Brownstein my whole career. Um, I've been here for going on 15 years. And you even give the math. So that's impressive, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. like you, I chose Colorado. I came here right out of college. And, you know, this is my hub where I always want to be. And so, you know, we don't want the word to get out there too much more, but, you know, it's such a great place to, I like people say it's a great place to work, play and live. And most people here adopt all of that. So, 
So that's great. It's so true. And the business community, that's the business community true, right? There's two, there's so many um, really exciting businesses here and so much exciting work being done in the community. While also I think our clients and we at Brownstein, I think share also that love of those mountains and the outdoors and exploring the cities and, and everything else we have to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jason, you're already feeling very discouraged because you don't live in Denver, I'm sure, but DC is a fun place to visit. And we just welcomed you out here for the event we had recently. So not to bum you out, but tell us more about you. You seem like you're doing just fine for not living in Denver. For not living in Denver, I'm doing just fine. I'm a little jealous that I don't live in Denver, given how you and Carrie described it. But I grew up in Maryland, but started my career here in D.C. back in 2007. And my career has been a mix of litigation and politics. I was a litigator for the first 12 years of my career and then pivoted to serve as the chief deputy attorney general for D.C., where I was responsible for litigation, but also responsible for coordinating our efforts with other state attorneys general across the country. And that's sort of where the politics came in. And Brownstein is the perfect fit for the intersection of litigation and politics, given that we've got such a strong you know, sort of federal lobbying practice and we've got a really strong litigation practice as well. So Brownstein is the perfect mix for someone that wants to have um, sort of a seat at the table in terms of politics and litigation. So I'm very fortunate to be here and, and happy to be at Brownstein despite the fact that I'm not in the Colorado office. Not yet. There might be, there might be, you know, an opportunity for you in the future. You never know, (laughs) but we'll take an anytime. (laughs) Well, before we jump in, I know we had some questions, um, particularly on what you both do in terms of your specialties. Want to just talk for a minute about the event we had recently around ESG and we got rave reviews on the event because I think people actually want to talk about you know, perhaps even the topic is fairly new in the business community. We've seen other ways that people can assess risk for companies and understand risk assessment. Challenges, of course, that businesses have are not new, but ESG is still relatively new. And it was a little bit of a feisty conversation in terms of maybe misconceptions, what the future holds, how businesses can fully, you know, comply with with the changing ESG impacts but I'd love to get your feedback again before we jump in. Both of you have a specialty on this. What were what was the takeaway from that event for you? And Jason, let's start with you. Sure. One takeaway from the ESG event was that it was very substantive. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, one of the speakers discussed the number of shareholder proposals that related to civil rights audits. And that number was somewhere in the 40s. And then he also discussed specifically how many positive votes there were authorizing a civil rights audit from shareholders. And I think the number was three or four. And he then gave examples as to why the votes were to conduct these audits. So it was a really substantive conversation, which I appreciated, but it was also a civil disagreement, right? There was a a meaningful disagreement between the panelists and you know, sometimes, and especially in today's day and age, those types of disagreements can get personal, they lack substance, they're really high level, and this was the exact opposite. It was deep, it was substantive, but it was civil. It was something I really appreciated, so thank you for having me. Carrie, how about you? And I think it's also the first time you both have been to an event for Colorado Business Roundtable. Would love to get your impressions on the event overall, and then we'll dive into kind of ESG particulars. I thought the event was 
incredible. Honestly, I hope that I'll be invited back or, <laughs> or that I can at least acquire a ticket and get myself back. Um, because I think that it's, uh, really important to have those conversations and to bring together, you know, thought leader is sometimes kind of an overused phrase, but it, but, you know, we have such an innovative business community in Colorado that's really thriving right now. And I really do love to hear where the, where there's intersection, where there's overlap and how different leaders are, are thinking about these types of issues that are coming down. Cause there is no, not necessarily one right way to think about it, right? There are really complex opinions. And as Jason said, I think the conversation was so substantive that it just, um, you know, one sheds a lot of light on the issues, but also shows the complexities and shows that businesses can be taking different approaches, whether it's, you know, pro ESG, anti ESG, whatever it is, but there's, but there's kind of room for, you know, discussion and differing thought uh, across the board. Yeah, that's well said. And I don't want to beat a dead horse. We're all just still jazzed about it. And, and again, happy that you guys were willing to sponsor it. And I think in terms of long-term strategic, uh, again, that same word, thought leadership, like how do we collaborate together? And it's another area I think Colorado is so unique in the sense of this bringing people together and collaborating and, and maybe the differing points of view actually helps us come up with a better solution coming out of that. So thinking of that fluidity um, and carry back to you, how have you seen ESG evolve over the course of your career and, and, you know, what, how is it changing? How is it growing in prominence? Why do you think that is? One thing that's really interesting about ESG, and, and there was discussion on this topic at the round table, but is that the concepts underlying the, the term ESG have been around for a long time. There's nothing specifically new about the underlying concepts of ESG, but they have certainly become much more in the forefront um, now, and of course, once the name, the label ESG, which I think has been around since 2004, that label really didn't have a lot of significance outside maybe the investment community until much more recently. And I think there are, you know, Jason can probably shed some light on this as well, but I think there's some, there are some really interesting political reasons for that. There's also some interesting just realities in the way that corporations are looked at more, you know, differently from both their employees their customers, and then also their shareholders in terms of concepts of, well, is the corporation, you know, is the, is the job just to make the money for the shareholders or should there be other broader purposes? And I think in more recent years, there's been a lot of push from those constituent groups to extend some of, uh, of what corporations are doing to be more of a force in society. I think that has made it a more political issue on both sides. Yeah, to, to weigh in on that too, I mean, most folks know that we're the state of, state affiliate of the National Business Roundtable based in Washington, D.C. And, and really, Jamie Dimon, as chair of the Business Roundtable, set some of that in motion when he redefined the purpose of a corporation, you know, setting into play this concept of shareholder versus stakeholder capitalism and all the implications. I'm sure lawyers in particular would probably say, well, there's a lot of implications on that in terms of, you know, who really, um, you know, is the major stake, does it take away something from shareholders, perhaps, instead of, um, and, and shifting it to stakeholders. So there's a lot of complexity there. And of course, we see that um, being affiliated with the Business Roundtable. But um, I'd be curious, Jason, just to weigh in, how has, how has ESG evolved that you've seen? And do you see that political dynamic really being kind of a lightning rod where before it maybe wasn't as much? Yeah, I've seen 
the labeling change over time, but I agree that the underlying concepts have been around for some time. So an example of the labeling changing, specifically in the investment community, you would hear SRI, social, socially responsible investing. And you, you don't hear it so much, you still hear it, but now you're hearing more ESG, right? So you're hearing the labeling change a bit, but some of the concepts are very similar. The E and ESG is in terms of environment. You know, for decades, various industries have taken into account, you know, environmental risk for, you know, big catastrophic environmental problems, hurricanes, big storms, you know, um, heat waves. That's been taken into account in the insurance industry for a fair amount of time in the um, oil and gas industry. So those concepts aren't new, but the labeling is new. Um, in terms of the political side, we are seeing that our country is increasingly politically divided, especially on climate change, especially on the S and ESG, the, the, the woke capitalism, if you will. And so it's politically expedient to exploit that political divide and just label everything painted with a broad brush as ESG or woke capitalism, as opposed to getting into the weeds of it. And I think that we're going to see more of that as we head into a big election cycle next year. Yeah, and I was even alluding to it, thinking now that we have a divided Congress, we're probably going to see more discussions about ESG. Uh, you're right, a presidential election lends itself to more polarization, perhaps on the issue. Is some of the criticism fair, Jason, for you when you think about what it might mean for public versus private companies? Do you feel like some of that critique, you know, how does how does that work in, in your viewpoint? So I think public, you know, public versus private or public and private companies, I'd say they both want to take into account uh, sort of whether ESG action or inaction it will impact their business and will impact potential sort of the legal side of the operations. I'll give you a couple of examples on the business side, whether considering ESG or not, is that going to attract or attract new investors or not? Is considering ESG or not considering ESG, will that attract new lenders or not? Um, will that impact customer loyalty or not? Those are business decisions that every business and every industry has to make. On the legal side, um, whether it's a publicly traded company or whether it's a private company, a company wants to consider whether or not there will be any scrutiny from Republican regulators, Republican state attorneys general for ESG action in terms of their, for example, whether you're violating a fiduciary duty by not taking into account solely the bottom line, um, whether there's any risk from a Democratic attorney general, for example, greenwashing, um, whether there's any scrutiny from complete inaction, just doing nothing on ESG. For example, if you are just not paying attention to the S in ESG, unfair working conditions, unfair compensation, discrimination, that could be illegal risk. There may be a lawsuit from shareholders or employees or others. And so I guess the point I'm making is companies should look at the business side and the legal side, whether you're publicly traded or whether you're private. And, and just to follow up on that, any difference in small versus big companies in what you're seeing in terms of compliance or risk? The larger the company, the larger the scope of an internal audit or internal assessment would likely be. A smaller company, that has a smaller number of employees, a smaller number of customers, a smaller impact on the community, the assessment that a company may do to determine its risk is likely going to be smaller in scope, the smaller the company. The larger the company, the bigger in scope the assessment should be. I think 
one of the things that we're all aligned on for the business roundtable is that business is a force for good. So some of the the uh, critiques I've heard from some of my employers are top-down approach of ESG in terms of, you know, here's the top-down approach is more cumbersome than sort of the free market idea of, okay, bottoms up, you know, companies are competing for talent, which means they've got to be smart about how they um, treat their employees, how they help their employees advance, how they how they are um, perceived in the community, how they act in the community. You know, some of that's just smart business. But when companies have more freedom to be fluid, you know, bottoms up, it's kind of a different approach. Um, that's I'm just kind of giving you a sense of, you know, the critique I hear from businesses in terms of layers of regulation. Um, but a follow-up kind of on that, Carrie, a little bit towards you first is what's your role? You both have a role in helping particularly business and organizations figure this out to lessen their impact, lessen their risk, really get ahead of it. Larry, starting with you, what's your role in that in that sense? Because again, it's sort of this a little bit of a moving target. It feels very fluid from what I hear again from the folks I represent. How do you help people stay on top of it to make sure they're they're avoiding unnecessary complications? And and the truth is that they're actually performing the way they want to perform from an investment standpoint as well. I'll talk about this from from kind of both my own practice and then also maybe Brownstein a little bit more at large, because I'd say so personally, and you, you gave an overview of my bio at the top, but I, though I'm a litigator, I am first and foremost really a problem solver. And I am in the business of risk mitigation for clients, helping them navigate difficult situations strategically, addressing their various constituent groups, looking at competing problems and, and, and how those can interact and how there can be maybe a holistic solution. And so, you know, that is really, um, really what I do on a day-to-day basis for my clients. And ESG just fits into that because ESG is fundamentally about risk management. And again, I would note to some of Jason's earlier points, it's not, I don't view Brownstein's role or my role to advise whether it's good to have an ESG policy or bad, or to look at it from a top-down approach or from a, from a, you know, um, sort of free market approach as, as you're talking about, Debbie. I don't consider that my role. I think our role as advisors is to talk about the risks on either side of either approach to navigate whatever approach the business wants to take to weigh in on, you know, the various considerations at large. And I would just, you know, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't put a plug in for Brownstein generally, because Brownstein, I think something that's really special about our firm is that we have sort of tentacles in in every different aspect of this type of topic, right? Like we have the nation's largest lobbying practice in, in DC, but we also have a really great state lobbying practice. We have great relationships with legislators and uh, uh, legislators and the governor, et cetera, in Colorado. We're lucky to have that. So in addition to our ability to problem solve from a legal perspective, you know, I think we all, first and foremost, look at it from everything from a business perspective. No, no question about that. Legal, maybe legal second, maybe politics third, or maybe, you know, maybe it kind of ebbs and flows depending on the problem. But I think that is where we at Brownstein, and, and I'd like to think where my practice personally can really fit in well and and be a real value add to any company considering these ESG concerns. Yeah, that makes total sense, Carrie. Jason, you want to weigh in on that, on in, on particular your role with with helping folks navigate ESG. Yes. Um, so you know, I think Brownstein's role in helping companies navigate ESG, you can think of it in at least in terms of four discrete action items. One is just conducting an assessment, right, to review any ESG any existing policies with a lack thereof related to ESG, 
to ensure compliance with state and federal law, which can vary drastically from state to state. Just depending on the scope of the um, of the assessment, that could be comprehensive engaging with stakeholders like employees, the board, investors, customers, the community, um, and also having an understanding of what the different regulators' priorities are. The second item is just to be updating or creating ESG policies if necessary or deleting them if necessary um, as a result of such an internal assessment. The third could be preparing documentation um, as, as it relates to ESG policy so that you're not just scrambling to find such a policy if a regulator were to ask. And the fourth is communicating a communication plan if necessary. So th those are sort of four discrete ways that Brownstein can help position a company for success, especially in terms of ESG. That sounds great. How can, what do you think, um, to kind of wrap us up on this, and then I've got a few lightning round questions for you guys, but what do you think our partners at Covert, large employers, medium-sized employers, what would you want them to know as kind of a wrap up from what you all have done? I know you've done a recent article um, about ESG that we were looking at earlier. What would you want to be kind of the closing? They need to know this going forward into 2023. And Carrie, let's start with you. We'll let Jason wrap us up. Any one thing, that's a, that's a tough question. That's a tough question. It is I a think tough question. Say, yeah. <laughs> I think what mm -hmm. I'd say is my view is whether it's called ESG or something else, we're sort of just getting started. And by we, of course, I sort of mean the country at large and the business community. I think these, these topics, this topic's not going to go away. So I think companies need to have a strategic long-term view of what that means for them, whether, again, whether they are sort of pro-ESG or skeptical of ESG, I think I would say, you know, this needs to be part of a long-term strategy, how it's going to be assessed over over the long haul. Yeah, I think I think you actually said it great. It is what it is. It's a thing. Companies can decide strategically how they want to navigate it, but it definitely isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And, and like we've said before, it's a changing way of evaluating risk evaluating potential performance, evaluating, you know, sort of risk management. Um, Jason, what are we leaving out in terms of what my employers and CEOs need to know about ESG? You're not leaving out anything. Um, Kara didn't leave out anything. I would say in this way, companies, there's a risk um, when it comes to acting in the space of ESG, and there's a risk related to inaction. And so, the smartest companies, the most successful companies have always assessed and mitigated risk. And that's something that companies want to do today as it relates to ESG, mitigate the risk related to action and the risk related to inaction. There's a lot to handle. And I'm sure we will put your contact information in with this podcast, but I appreciate you guys being on to give some thought leadership to this. This is certainly an issue that Cobert's going to continue to talk about. In fact, the event that we were mentioning earlier, I think really covered the E so well, but in some ways we didn't even get to the S and G. And so I've already had some requests and perhaps we bring you guys back as uh, some speakers for that in terms of how we tackle the S and the G. And, and it's again, funny. trying to figure out what's next. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's funny you say that, Debbie, because I think that if, if we were to break it down in our own practices, Jason really kind of covers the S and I do a lot of the G work. And so we didn't even really get to those issues. I think you're right. It'd be valuable to have a follow up. It would be valuable. I, I don't, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, I think there'd be a lot of interest from the crowd too. You know, this topic, like we said, is not going away. 
it's a chance for people to really make sure they're on top of it and strategic with how they manage their organizations. So appreciate you both being on today. Um, to wrap this up, we do something now that we call a lightning round. And, um, you know, I, we probably, I'll probably only just give each of you a question or two that you have to answer really fast. And it's just to add a little bit of spice to our podcast. So Jason, I'm going to start with you. Um, and this might be fun to hear because I'm in DC now and then. So I'm curious what you're going to say, but question is, what's your favorite powerhouse lunch or happy hour location? Tosca on 11th and F Northwest, hands down. Food is great, the drinks are strong, and the ownership is always accommodating. You know, I, I will emphasize the drinks are strong. So drinks are strong, does that mean it's lunch or happy hour? Ah, uh, happy hour. Happy hour. But you, okay, you good, good, just clarifying. I, yeah, happy hour, but it's also- it's Just doing trip. risk mitigation here. Okay. <laughs> All right, good, good. Well, we'll have to check that out next time I'm in D.C. That'd be great. Carrie, how about for you? What's your favorite binge? It could be a book, a podcast, a Netflix series, or whatever. Um, I got to say, during the during the depth of the pandemic, I was reading a ton. But now we're back in action and, and in person, and so I don't have as much time right now. I just finished, though, watching The Last of Us on HBO. We'll see if I ever sleep again. Uh, I was literally having nightmares last night because it's pretty scary jo- uh, zombie sort of post-apocalyptic <laughs> show. But yeah. I highly recommend it. Okay, good. I haven't finished it yet, so don't give it away. That would, I want to be surprised at the end. But it sounds like not a happy ending, so that's all right. No, just it's scary. Everybody, you know, no, it's, it's, it's neither. I'm not going to. It's like ESG. I'm not here to tell you whether it's happy or unhappy, good or bad. (laughs) It's for you to judge. I just remember when my teen children were packing their like jump bags or their go bags, whatever they called it, you know, because they were reading too many apocalyptic novels. So that was a little frightening. Um, Jason, last question for you is what is your best advice you've ever received to help you get a seat at the table? best advice I've ever received is to find ways to get to yes. Um, lawyers are trained to spot problems and law school, they call it issue spotting. And that's what we, that's what you do in law school is issue spot, which means when you graduate, you know how to find a thousand ways to say no. Um, but the best lawyers find a way to get to yes. Well said, well said. Carrie, we're going to wrap it with you. What's the best advice you've ever received to get a seat at the table? Awfully hard to top that. I think what I would say is as a, as a woman who's had really pretty much only male mentors who've been wonderful throughout my career, I think what I've learned from them is it's important to find your own voice and your own, you know, what you individually contribute. I couldn't emulate, you know, what the gray haired guy who's been practicing law for 40 years, who is my mentor, his approach. That was never going to work for me. But, you know, that there is um, my own approach, my own style. And, and that's true for everyone. And that is what is ultimately most effective. It's safe for yourself. Well, I look forward to more collaboration with you both, Jason and Carrie from Brownstein, and excited that we hosted one event together. And I think we have more in our future to talk about SMG coming up. I suspect so. so. Yeah. Well, thanks again for joining us. This has been a podcast brought to you by Colorado Business Roundtable, A Seat at the Table. Thanks for joining. A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown is a production of the Colorado Business Roundtable. You can find this episode, a listing of our upcoming events, and more information about our organization at cobrt.com.